0: me this morning uh, on uh, this Gideon Sunday. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll begin to read in verse 9. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the unfinished task. The unfinished task. Won't you stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, begin to read in verse 9. The Bible says these words, therefore, We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. We persuade men but we are well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. "...that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for God who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that your spirit would move and speak. God, I pray you'll convict the lost of where they stand spiritually, what Christ has done for them and their need to turn and receive Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, I pray you'll stir our church up in these days. Everyone who names the name of Christ, learners and followers of Jesus Christ, disciples, I pray, God, You'll stir us up to action in these days, to be fully surrendered as you, you want to work through us. I pray, God, you won't do more through us, God, that we'll, we'll be more usable. Lord, we'll, anything that's in our life today, God, that needs to be pulled away, that's hindering the work that you want to do through us, God, I pray we will surrender it so that you can use us fully to the extent that you desire to do as it comes to the work of the unfinished task. We just simply ask, God, what you're calling men and women to do today It'll be done as we yield ourselves to the will of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Well, this is Palm Sunday in Matthew chapter 21, verse number 9. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey which no one had ever sat before. And the crowd, boy, they were all stirred up and keyed up. And everyone had a palm branch and they were waving and so excited. And they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that Hosanna literally translated as O Save. Literally they were saying as he came in, O Save, O Save, save us. Literally they weren't singing, friend, and crying, save us from hell. They were crying, save us from Rome. They wanted a great political leader. And Jesus reminded them again, my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't come at first to be a ruler of men on the earth. He came to be a ruler of hearts. It was a spiritual kingdom. Oh, the day is going to come, and praise God, make it come even sooner. We look forward to the day that Jesus is going to sit down on a literal throne in Jerusalem and rule for 1,000 years as King of kings and Lord of lords. But he first came to be a ruler of hearts. Luke 19 and verse number 10, he declared to the people, Jesus didn't hide anything. He told them from the very beginning that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, that's not just those who would be saved, it's all people. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Christ came to seek all those lost people and to save all those lost people, and therefore, the blood that he shed on the cross, it's for all people. He wants all people to, to be saved. We had in a text that was in our Sunday school lesson this morning, John chapter 19, verse number 30. Just before Jesus yielded up the Spirit, he said, it's finished. On Sunday, Wednesday nights and sometimes on Sunday nights, occasionally on Sunday morning. We ask this question a lot because we past seven years we've been going through the Old Testament, starting in the book of Genesis, and we just completed the book of Job. And in the Old Testament, it's all about the what, church family? The covenant. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 was that first promise that Christ would come. God established Genesis 12, a covenant with Abraham. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. He had completed that covenant. And that's why he said, there's a new covenant. Read the words that are on the front of the desk. This do in remembrance of me. It's, it's a reminder of the new covenant that exists through the blood of Jesus. So Christ accomplished in a body of flesh and blood what God had sent him to do, to seek and to save that which is lost, to make a way that people could be saved. But Jesus ascended. Acts He says, You shall be my witnesses. It's finished. Christ accomplished on the cross what God sent him to do. But listen, the task still continues of reaching a lost and dying world. It's an, it, we can't say it's finished. It's not till we step into heaven... At the end of the age when hell is cast into the lake of fire and we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, then we can say it's finished. But until then, friend, there's one more soul to reach. The Apostle Paul, he knew this. He gave himself to the unfinished task of reaching one more soul for the kingdom of God. What is it that drove the Apostle Paul to abandon himself to the unfinished task? And can I just say, ought to move us to have that same kind of abandon to the unfinished task. Well, number one, it was his aim. Look at verse number nine. Paul says, therefore, we make it our aim, literally our target, our goal, our focus. What Paul focused on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 30 or 31 or 28 in February, or 27 on leap year or 29 leap year. What was it that drove the apostle Paul? It was his focus. It was his aim. Paul's singular greatest desire, friend, was to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all, that's all he was concerned with. He, he wasn't concerned about whether he was going to win man of the year. And I, and I get so disgusted hearing decisions made in, the, in church about this. Well, you know, we just want everybody to be happy. Paul didn't care if anybody was happy as long as Jesus was happy. His singular desire was to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says whether it's here Or somewhere else, whether it's present or absent. Well, that's building off of verse number 8. Paul says, we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body. Paul says, if I die, I'm a winner. I get to go be with with, uh, the Lord. I get to go be in His presence. If I stay here, I get to keep ministering with Him as He lives through me. He says, so whether here or whether in heaven, Paul says, it really doesn't matter. He says, my singular aim is to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to a place where we ought to ask a question. Listen to me this morning. What's what's the aim of your life? What's your focus? And we know the Sunday school answer, friend, but God knows your heart. When when you went to bed last night, when you woke up this morning, what is it that really drives all the actions in your life? Is is it, you know, what's going to please me? What's going to make me happy? What's going to get one more checklist you know, off, off my bucket list? Or is it's the singular desire of my life to please the Lord Jesus Christ? And if everybody else is happy with that, fine. If they're not, take it up with God. But I only want Christ to be pleased. If that's not the aim of your life, friend... You're not going to be used to your fullest spiritual potential as it comes to the unfinished task of reaching people for the kingdom of God, teaching them all things of Christ and to observe them and encouraging them to finish well. You're not because instead of being focused on Christ and pleasing Him, you're always going to have this inward focus of me and what I want. That's why it's so defeating sometimes when there's such pettiness and selfishness in the life of the church. So many just foolish things that people do just are driven by outright pettiness and selfishness when there's only one word that all drive what we do, and it's selflessness. Our aim is to please Jesus alone. Well, that was Paul's aim, and that's why he was so effective. Secondly, not only was it his aim, but it was his appearance. And I'm not talking about how he looked because he was, he was a little sickly looking. Uh, I remember when he ministered in the book of Acts on, uh, there in... Uh, uh, at, 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 to, the, uh, to the Greeks there, as he ministered in Athens. Some began to mock him. They said he looked like a little bird up there pecking around. He, he, they mocked his appearance, the way he looked. That's not what we're talking about. It's a different kind of appearance. Look at verse number 10. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad it was an appearance that paul understood and and paul knew and and again in verse number 10 uh, must means must we we quote this verse a lot john chapter 3 verse 7 jesus said you must be born again and i don't care you know what you know lexicon you try to get or dictionary to try to change the word must always means must and so Paul says to those who have been saved, to disciples who have turned from sin, repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life, he's writing to the church at Corinth. He said, we must all, that's everybody, that's every mother's son who's ever repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life, they're all one day going to appear. And that word appear means to present oneself. You're going to present your life before the judging eye of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now, this is the bema in, in the Greek. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is not to be confused with the great white throne, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. That's where sinners are going to stand and receive their judgment for what they didn't do. And that's receive Christ to be Lord of their life. Paul says, I understand there's an appearing. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to stand and give an account for my life Before the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the beam of friend, listen, there's going to be gain or loss. That's not why we serve. But can I just say, it's a heavenly perk. And you say, well, I just don't know I want anything in heaven. Well, then would you pray for the rest of your life that God will give whatever he's going to give to you to me? (laughs) I'll be jealous. I'll take it. That's not wrong. Friend, there's going to be reward in heaven for what you've done for Jesus Christ. I don't know what all the service is going to be. I don't know what life fully is going to be in eternity. But there's going to be gain. Listen. But there could also be loss. Some may be saved just so as by fire. Who? The ones who trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. But they never did anything for the kingdom of God. Well, it's sins of commission. It's sins of omission. You didn't witness to your neighbor. You didn't didn't try to teach people how to follow Christ. You weren't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ day and day. Your life was focused on you. Life was focused on you. And for that, friend, there's going to be loss. You know, most of the praise courses today just make it out there that everybody's just going to marching into heaven and marching around the judgment seat of Christ. Not so, friend. That's when Jesus will wipe the tears out of our eyes. Because we're going to see what failure we had in ministry, whether we did or didn't. Whether it's success or failure. And the Bible promises there'll be gain or loss. Paul gave himself to this unfinished work daily because he knew he would appear. There was a time fixed in eternity when the apostle Paul alone would have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for that Acts 9 mission. He is my chosen vessel to bear my name to the Gentiles. And everything that would be involved in that, he would have to give an account. I want you to look at me this morning. If you've been saved, say amen. If you just said amen, you will too. You will too. You're going to give an account for what you did in your individual body. Parents, whether you really trained your children in the strength or admonition of the Lord, or just tried to get them to like you all the time. Grandparents, whether you did the same, or you just wanted to be the, the favorite gammy or pap, you're going to give an account. For every opportunity you had to share the gospel, every opportunity you had in the local church to use your spiritual gift that God gave you for the furtherance of the gospel and the work of ministry in the local church, we're all going to stand before Jesus and give an account. And Paul thought about that. It didn't become numb to him. It didn't sink down to the bottom. Every day he realized there's a day that he would give an appearance to Jesus Christ and give an report. For what he did in the body as it came to service. So there was his aim, there's his appearance, but also his apprehension. We're talking about his understanding. Paul understood something, and it motivated him to give himself to the unfinished task. Well, what is it that Paul understood? Look at verse number 11. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What's he talking about? That God judges sin. You know, put, put that on a placard and put it by the mailbox in everybody's yard. Knowing this, the terror of the Lord. Jesus does love sinners, friend, but listen, God hates sin and He sends sinners to hell because of their sin. And Paul understood this. He knew this. What's so important about the Bibles that the Gideons are going to buy and purchase? What's, what's so important about that? Because they represent souls. I remember in the fifth grade, I don't even know how many schools it still happens, but I remember in the fifth grade, the fellow came, I still remember what he said. He goes, they're red on the outside, make them red on the inside. And everybody filed by and got a little red New Testament. Well, the New Testament represented souls. We had 22 children here in our Juana ministry. 95% of them, they're not here this morning their parents drop them off. And we're glad they do. We thank God for that. But I'm telling you, friend, every child, it's not just a number in the attendance list. It's a soul. It's a soul. If they don't trust Christ, friend, to be Lord of their life, one day they'll die and go to hell. That's the reality of what we're in. And Paul realized this. And that's what the devil wants to calm down in the church. You see, hell's not hot anymore in most churches in the south. It's not hot. It's just, just an, alterna- you know, an alternative place. We've got alternative lifestyles and alternative choices. That's just an alternative place to spend eternity. And people make little hand signs and gestures about it. Friend, it's not. It's just as hot as it ever was. Go ask the rich man in Luke 16. Hell's having a prayer service right now that nobody will come. Hell wants no intruders. And that's why Christ died on the cross, that nobody... brother mentioned a pastor that spoke a word to his church. Well, that pastor and his church, they only believe that Christ died for some people to be saved. But I'm telling you, friend, our Bible teaches that Christ died that all people might be saved. God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. Paul understood, friend, that that's the terror of the Lord. God judges sin. Romans chapter 1 says through conscience and creation, God has revealed himself to all men. And those who respond to that and and hear the gospel, they begin to acknowledge that there is a God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says that God deals to people a measure of faith. And if they act upon that faith, and repent of their sin and trust Christ, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's through faith that people are saved. As the minister of the Holy Spirit, John 16, verses 8 through 11, begins to to, to minister about sin. I can tell you about sin, only the Holy Spirit can help you to understand it. I can tell you about the righteousness of Christ that you need, friend, laid to the account of your life. But only the Holy Spirit can help you understand that need. I can tell you about the judgment to come. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. We can go to Luke 16, go to Revelation 20, and I can show you what the Bible has to say that's going to look like. But only the Holy Spirit of God can make it come alive. And then you have a choice. And those who don't choose Jesus Christ, friend, the Bible says, look at verse number 11, the terror of the Lord. People who don't trust Christ spend an eternity in a place called hell. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, they speak of this. Those whose names are not found in the book of life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, Thief comes, but steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life. John 3, 7, those who are never born again, who never experience a spiritual birth through Jesus Christ. They die and they go to hell because they're not reconciled. Look at verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors through Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why does man need to be reconciled to God? Isaiah 59 verse 2, because sin separates man from God. And through Jesus Christ, friend, we can be reconciled. The Apostle Paul, he had had an understanding it was his apprehension. He understood that people who don't get saved die and go to hell. That's your neighbor. That's your coworker. That's your grandchild. That's your child. That's your spouse. That's the person that lives in another county. That's the person that lives in another country. That's the Eskimo that lives on the North Pole, the one that's in the South. All people who don't receive Jesus Christ die and go to hell. Comes a time, friend, that the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, God will cast lost people into hell like children throw coins into a fountain. That's the reality of the business that we're involved in. That's why Paul gave himself to that, because he didn't want anybody to die and go to hell. So there was his apprehension. But fourth, there was his affection. Look at verse number 13. He said, for if we are beside ourselves, if we are beside ourselves... It is for God. Acts chapter 26 verses 19 through 25 As Paul was sharing his testimony with Agrippa. He shared about how he, how God had changed his life. And the reason he was before Agrippa was because he got all the lost religious people stirred up. And now he was in prison for that. And so Agrippa was looking at him saying, you know, well, all you have to do is quit preaching like this and nothing bad's going to happen to you. And Agrippa looked at Paul and says, Paul, much learning has made you mad. Agrippa looked at Paul and says, man, this guy's lost his mind that he's willing to die for the gospel. They thought he was crazy. And can I just say, friend, that's one of the greatest compliments a lost person could ever give you. Could ever give you. If, somebody, if you've got a family member that thinks you are just crazy because of your commitment to Christ, then give God the glory for it. You've got a co-worker that thinks, man, he's, he just keeps mission promotion after promotion because he won't do it. You know this crooked thing the boss wants to do. Praise God for that. They, everybody thought Paul was crazy, but listen, but those that understood knew he was the wisest man of the world because he had received Jesus Christ to be Lord of his life. What drove Paul was his love for Jesus. Look at verse number 13. For if we beside ourselves... It is for God. If I'm crazy, I'm crazy for God. And if I'm of a sound mind, he said, it's for you. It's that all people might be saved. For the love of Christ compels us. It wasn't, listen, it wasn't Paul's love for Christ. And it wasn't just his love for lost people. It was the love that Christ had for Paul that drove him forward. The thought that Jesus Christ could love a spiritual terrorist like Saul had been, who was consenting to the death of Stephen, would have even been consenting to his own death if he'd found somebody just like him. He wanted to see all the apostles. He wanted the church blown up and gone away. But he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9. He began to think about, man, that God, God loves me. The love of God that he would send Christ to die for me, knowing what I've done and who I was. Paul says, that's what motivates me for the love of Christ, compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Paul was, Paul was so excited and, and so, so committed to seeing Jesus Christ Change someone. He says, if Christ died for all, then all deserve to hear and to be discipled. All deserve. Did Jesus die just for a few people or for all people? Then all people deserve to hear. And all people deserve the opportunity to be discipled. Look at verse number 15. And he died for all. Not maybe or it's debatable or let's have a symposium on Calvinism to really see. No, friend, that is completely wrong. Christ died that all people might be saved. He said, and because he, since he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And the only way they can live that way is through the ministry of the word in their life. That's discipleship. Paul wanted to see everybody reached with the gospel, and I know this isn't proper tense, but he wanted to see everybody teached in the gospel. Reach and teach. He wanted to see them to have the same opportunity that he had when God had led him out into the deserts of Arabia and conferred not with flesh or blood but with the Holy Spirit. And all of those Old Testament scriptures that Saul had learned as a boy... When he became Paul, God made him come alive, 1 Corinthians two fourteen. For the natural man perceives not the things of God, neither can he know them for their foolishness to him. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. He wanted people to have that same opportunity to grow in Jesus Christ. Jesus loved Paul, and because of that, Paul loved Jesus. And the first fruit, we'll, we'll look at that text tonight in John 15, that God bore out as, as Paul daily abided in Jesus Christ, it was love. It was love. Love for Christ, love for others. And can I just say that he proved the love test, John 14, 23 and 24. Everybody says, you know, in the south, oh, I love Jesus. Jesus says, really? Well, here's the test. Do you obey my word? And Paul could pass that test. So there was his, there was his apprehension, but there was also his affection. Fifth notice, his assurance. His assurance. Why did Paul give himself to the unfinished task? It was because of what he was assured of. Look at verse number 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he was a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, Paul knew the gospel worked. How? Because he wasn't Saul anymore. He was a new man in Jesus Christ. Friend, listen the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives, it changes lives. He says, therefore, if, any, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Friend, I'm telling you, you're here this morning. You say, oh, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, you know, as a three-year-old in Bible school and was baptized that night. And, you know, but I really, you know, there's never been any real change in my life. Friend, the Bible says when you get saved, there's going to be change. There's going to be change. If change has never taken place in your life spiritually, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. When true salvation takes place, there's going to be change. When I got saved at seven years old, did I know everything there was to know about God? No, friend, I knew this. I knew that I was a sinner. The gospel had been shared with me. The Holy Spirit made that come alive to the point that I gave all of me that I knew to give to Jesus Christ. When I turned 13, I found out there's even more of me to give to Jesus Christ. When I turned 15, I found there's even more of me to give to Jesus Christ. When I turned 18, there was even more. And I just turned 50 this year, and friend, I'm still giving more of my life to Jesus Christ every single day. If change has not come about in your life, Since you profess Jesus Christ to be Lord, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. It's impossible. When the Holy Spirit comes in, there'll be change. There'll be change. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not he might be, he could be. He is a new creation. That means all the people that knew you when you were lost, friend, they're going to notice there's something different about the way they talk. There's something different about their priorities. They're going to sense the Holy Spirit in your life. It's just going to happen. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Paul had a burning desire and passion to watch Jesus Christ transform people's lives from death to life. He wanted to see that. He gave himself to the unfinished task because of his assurance, he knew, friend, listen, that the gospel works. You don't have that assurance for anything else you can give yourself to. When I was a boy, I cut my teeth trout fishing. Uh, I remember when I was just a little boy, my daddy took me. He, he can't believe he did this. I'm so thankful he did. I was in kindergarten. My daddy took me up, up to Hazel Creek, tied up, put a life jacket on me. And tied a ski rope right here between the, the hanes, right here in the front. Tied it to his waist and drugged me up the creek. When I, I'd stand when I could, when I couldn't. Man, I was hooked. If there was water, I wanted to be in it. And listen, when we caught trout, we didn't always practice catch and release, we didn't break the law. But we wanted to eat them. We took fish from life unto death and on to cornmeal, and hot grease. Listen, friend, when you fish for souls, John 1, 15, I mean, Mark 1, 15, 17, Jesus says, you know, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You're not fishing for, for something to take it from life to death. You're fishing for something to take it from death to life. Only the gospel can do that. Paul had that assurance, and he gave himself to, not only was there his assurance, but there was his assignment. This is what God had commanded him to do. Look at verse number 18. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is the sin that separated us. It's been paid for. He paid for it with his blood. That's why he said, it's finished. I've made a way that all people's sins, past, present, and future, can be paid for. They can be saved from sin's penalty. As they grow in me, they can be saved from sin's possession. And then one day when they die, they'll come to live with me and, praise God, be saved from sin's presence for all eternity. He's made a way for that to happen. He says it's, that is, Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And look at the last part of verse number 19, because it's not just to Paul and it's not just to the church at Corinth. It's for all of us. Say this morning, it's for me. I didn't mean, get everybody. Say it again. It's for me. It's for you. Verse number 19, it's for me, it's for you. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Paul understood, man, this was his assignment. That, that God had given to us the ministry of reconciliation in the verse number 18. And he's 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 given us ministry. That's what he's called us to do. Daily Acts One Eight to be his witnesses. That's our assignment. I don't know what you know. Everybody's individual job is. You know, if you're visiting here this morning, I know most of our church family. Most of you are retired, and I don't even know what you do. You know, you're just you're retired. You're drifting here and there, but you're retired. But friend, wherever your sphere of influence is, that is your field. That's where you're to live on mission. That's that's your assignment. God had called Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and if you live here in East Tennessee, he's called you to take the gospel to East Tennessee. Hamilton County, Bradley County, wherever you live, wherever you get your mail, that's your mission field. And Paul understood he had an assignment. He's given to us this ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse number 23. Paul says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. We're to represent Jesus and His kingdom work at all times. You hear people say, Joe, well, what happens on vacation stays on vacation. No, it doesn't, friend. It goes right to the throne room of heaven. God sees who you are and everything you do at all times. You're never out of the presence of Jesus Christ. You can go in your room, shut the door, turn off the lights, but if you've been saved, friend, the Holy Spirit's there. You're never out of the presence of Christ. And everywhere we go at all times, friend, we are to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, I, am, I, am, I have been called and you've been called to represent what Christ died for. Friend, it was not a little thing. The value of something is determined, not by what everybody else will pay for it, but what the one who is willing to pay the price for it says it's worth. You know, you go to some of these little thrift shops or... Uh, American in places. I promise you, nobody in here can do it like Peggy. She, she knows every thrift store. She may jump up and have a holy dance. Me just talking about them this morning. She loves thrift shopping. And you pay a nickel for this, pay a nickel for that. But somebody, you know, somebody, sometimes people buy these different things and they'll take them on uh, this antique road show. You ever seen that little television show? Uh, what's it worth? Well, friend... What it's really worth is not what you paid for it back at the shop, but what somebody's willing to pay for it. What's your soul worth? What's the guy down the street who shows no interest in Christ? What's his soul worth? What's what's the little girl that said, Don't forget me, Brother Greg was talking about. What's her soul worth? It's worth to God the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. Souls are of worth value because God was willing to pay with the life of Jesus Christ. And He's called us to be ambassadors of that message at all times. And Paul understood that. Seventh, there was His appeal. He had an assignment, but this was his appeal. What what is it that kept him moving? The appeal to tell one more person. Look at verse number 19. That is, God was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us that word of reconciliation to tell people, God wants you to be saved. Verse number 15, to tell all people because he died for all. To tell them verse number 21, that's good news. God made Jesus, for he made him who knew no sin, that's Christ, had never committed a sin, didn't even know what it was to sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Listen, the terror of the cross was not the nails, it was not the scourging, it was not the betrayal. The terror of the cross was that one who never had known sin experienced my sin and your sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Those are the terror of the cross. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He forsook him because God will not associate with sin, Isaiah 59, 2. And our sin was cast upon Christ, and God was separated from his Son, and his Son was separated from his Father because our sins were cast upon him. They were cast upon him. And Paul says, man, I want to take that message to people that they don't have to die and go to hell. We implore you, Paul says, verse 20, we beg you. Paul says, you may go to hell, but you'll have to walk over the top of me to go. Because I'm going to stand and tell you that God loves you. There's no sin that you've committed that the blood of Christ won't cover. His grace will reach out to you. In mercy, He'll pardon you if you'll only turn and receive Jesus Christ. That's what moved Paul to the unfinished task that one more soul might be saved. I want to ask you this morning, look, look at me. Have you been reconciled to God? Not are you a member of a church? Have you been baptized? Are you Baptist? Do you come? Was your daddy a great leader in the church? Have you been reconciled to God? Paul could say that he had, and can I just stand and say this morning, I thank God, friend, I've been reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. I can take you to a moment where the Spirit of God convicted me and drew me, and I chose to turn from sin as I've already said, and gave all of me I knew to Jesus Christ. Can you point to a moment like that? Friend, if you can't point, you may not know the day, the hour, the month, calendar day, but do you remember in your mind. Melissa, she laughs at it now. She used to then. I can't remember sometimes what day my anniversary is. I know it's in July. I forget the date all the time. But listen to me, friend. I don't forget the moment. I remember that. My daddy thought, I mean, I was going to come out of my jacket. I was so, I, I mean, I kept looking through the window. Is it time? Worried the preacher to death. We finally got out there, and I thought my neck would break straight into the back to see her coming in that pretty white dress all the way to the front. I may forget the day, but I remember the moment. Do you remember the moment that you got saved? It's a definite experience. If not, friend, be reconciled today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No one's looking around. That's what Easter is all about. Christ died for your sin. He rose from the grave and offers you life and life more abundantly but you must choose to turn and receive it. Have you ever done that? If not, would you not do it now? Simply tell him so in a humble prayer of faith that you mean with all your heart, just like this, God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. I turn from all my sin to you. I trust Jesus, not just to be my Savior, but most importantly, to be Lord of my life. I'm giving all of me that I know to give to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? Here in a few moments after I pray, they're going to begin to sing. and We'll stand to our feet. And I'm going to invite you that if you prayed that prayer and you trusted Christ to make your way down to the front so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Child of God, would you not be honest today before the Lord? He knows the truth and you do too. Are you like the Apostle Paul, wholly, not partially, or not when it's convenient, but wholly committed to the unfinished task of seeking and saving a world that is lost in sin? Christ does it through us as we yield ourselves to Him. Are you wholly committed to that? You know, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, on his deathbed, He could say with a clear conscience before God that he had fought the good fight. He had finished the race. He had had kept the faith. If today were your last day on heaven as a child of God, could you really say with a clean conscience that you've you've fought the good fight? That you've, you've really finished the race of faith and been a part of the unfinished task? and That you've kept the faith? Could you really say that? And friend, let this be a new beginning in your life as a child of God. Re-enlist today. You're not getting saved again. But re-enlist today in the Lord's army to be used toward that unfinished task of reaching a world, friend, that is, listen, they are on a rail headed toward a devil's hell. Yield yourself today to the Lord to be a part of that unfinished task. And again, church, family, I remind you, one of the ways we can do that is to help support financially the needs of others who have given themselves to that. And certainly the Gideon's ministry is doing that. And we can give as the Lord challenges us today. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of ministry. You don't need us, but you allow us to be on mission with you. Speak to your church, challenge us, stir us up in these days. I pray your will would be done in every heart and life now during this time of invitation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's reverently stand there.